0: For our oldest and most loyal listeners out there, we wanted to let you know about our new Patreon page. Outside of our careers and time spent with family, the three of us here at Maltopia have been working every night and weekend for the past five years, building our company into what it is today. With your help, our goal is to make Maltopia our livelihood, allowing us to bring you higher quality content, exciting new podcast series and published works, and a large central community for you to take part in. As a thank you for your support, we're offering exclusive perks and bonus content, like early access to podcast episodes, behind-the-scene creator videos, and more. Go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia today and explore our membership levels. And be sure to scroll through for free public content, some of which gives you a sneak peek at what you can expect when you become a member. From Mark, Steve, and Walker, thanks again for enjoying our podcast, and we hope to meet you soon on Patreon.
6: Her head was a world of darkness unto itself, overrun with nightmares from all directions. She barely knew who she was, caught in the currents of so many maelstroms. She might be a jealous woman living in darkest splendor, hell-bent to see her spurned love avenged. Or, alternatively, she could be a thing as old as stone, a prehistoric conqueror burned to soot, and as strange as it sounded. It was just possible she was a young woman who'd been gifted the entire past by a machine from hell. None of her choices sounded particularly tempting. Hazel had been in her room for days and still hadn't opened her eyes, or at least she didn't think she had, not into the real world at any rate. Her mind was too spacious a place, granting refuge to anyone or anything that came calling. But she was as much a machine as the one that had made her, Surviving through adaptation and trickery, her malgenic gift was slowly clearing her head, pushing the horrors away by infusing them with a sense of temporal distance, making them appear far off, giving her mind a chance to rest and recover. But while she was making progress, her awareness still vacillated between points of darkness, one more than any other. She dreamt of the great prehistoric throne that had haunted her sleep since the airplane hangar. But this time her immersion into the dream was deeper the clarity crystalline now she stood before the thing upon the great seat its eyes holding her mind open examining its contents the creature was enormous perhaps as large as the dead knot horns twisting out of its head like massive ivory tree branches after gazing into her mind the thing let her fall to the stone floor it spoke to her just before she woke up I will live again Eric was by her side when she startled awake I'm I'm sorry Hazel I, I didn't mean to wake you Hazel was glad for the sight of the Englishman.
4: You didn't. It was a nightmare. A real doozy, actually.
6: How do you feel? She could sense how badly he wanted to take her hand, so she took his.
4: I'm okay, Eric. Really.
6: The man exhaled a wide smile as he placed his other hand over hers. Instinctively reaching into the past to orient herself, she ascertained her time spent unconscious. The room flickered backwards in her mind. A movie rewinding at top speed, revealing recent events. Eric was almost always by her bedside, watching over her. She sat up and looked him in the eyes.
4: Before all of this, I had amnesia. My entire life had been wiped away.
6: She was energized by the possibility of warmth, wanting to shrug the world from her shoulders and embrace the hope she'd found in the shrinking Englishman.
4: I felt like a ghost just floating around in a funk of dead memories. My father was in a bad way, desperate for me to remember him, I think. I don't blame him, not for that anyways. He had the best intentions when he signed me up for the machine.
6: Eric looked puzzled by the deluge of insight and began to stammer something, but Hazel interrupted him.
4: I just want you to know who I am. We've been dancing around each other forever now. I just wanted I want you to know I care about you too, Eric. Enough to let you in.
6: The man's face lit up just as fast as it seemed to falter. She guessed he wasn't quite there yet, to reciprocate the gesture and spill the beans about his own past.
4: It's okay, Eric. You don't have to tell me anything until you're ready. But when the time comes, just know I'll be here, okay?
6: Eric's silence seemed to sweep him away from her. "'absorbing him into the despair of the yellow room. "'Then the moment was gone. "'She was just alone with the echoes of terrible things, "'all while realizing her life would never again be her own, "'and that the man she might love "'was a monstrous undead thing. "'She could rewind the moment if she wanted, "'but its spirit did not live in time. "'Their hands mutually unclasped. "'Eric took a deep breath "'and looked as if he was going to divulge something.
4: "'It's fine, really.' I can tell this isn't the time,"
6: the regressor said, hoping to conserve some small semblance of the previous glow, not wanting it squandered on the intruding gloom. The Englishman must have also noticed the change in mood as he proceeded to change the subject. Keith and Lynn were down for a bit as as well, but they're, they're up and around now. He paused and looked to the floor, apparently out of words. She could tell they'd all left something behind in Merger's Ditch. But that's what this journey of theirs demanded, she suspected. To die a little bit at a time, slowly shedding skin till nothing but the machine remained.
4: Where did you, uh, Cromwell go? Things get foggy after we started watching the movie.
6: Just the mention of the thing sent her mind reeling with images and the sound of flies. He he detected one of the Ova-Sapiens in the basement and went to intercept it. Then everything just went… wrong, so fucking wrong. Eric closed his eyes while his hand went to his temples, as if trying to soothe the headache. She took his hand away from his head and placed it over her heart, the previous warmth returning as she stoked it back into being, her will standing down the gloom.
4: We're gonna get through this shit, Eric. You and me, because we're going to be there for each other."
6: Her free hand softly guided the man's head to hers, and their lips touched. He'd lived in Deadwitch since the beginning, haunting its hollows and lurking its shadows, and yet he was unknown to one and all, but the opposite was certainly not the case he was most thoroughly acquainted with every single citizen the city had to offer. Walking the depths of their mind as if they were but paths to be traveled, taking in every sight, Silas Tibbles was a malsapien of singular talent. This was of course the reason he'd been placed in charge of keeping watch over the place and its people, and why his helping of insight into the larger framework of its operation was granted. This last fact owing more to necessity than anything else, since the very moment he'd stepped from the machine, he'd glimpsed more than merely the general outline of the plan surrounding himself and the rest of the male He'd even sipped a bit from the darksome thing that was Spider Black's mind, ascertaining enough to know something of the danger he was in. But those facts he kept close to the vest, waiting for the time when they might prove most valuable. It was just such insights that furnished the Mindwalker his current project, understanding the plan behind the wholesale slaughter of the Oversapiens. The current subject of his scheme was nothing short of the Oversapien who thought herself cagey enough to enter the city unseen. The last Oversapien he'd evaluated, the creature known as the Werewind, had been given orders to watch the city from afar and merely offered insights into the Oversapiens themselves. Revealing them as little more than pawns to a much larger game. Although Silas enjoyed his time with Byron, delighting in the fact that the self styled unseen assassin was his for the killing at any time. This most recent creature, Antonia, was far better informed than the werewind, having had a brush with the inimitable Castilian himself, a brush that revealed a hint of what might be considered an endgame of sorts. Silas had been placed under the management of the aforementioned Hanuma, whom he considered little more than a brute with a brain, a thing where nuance and shadow had no place or purpose. This was all to the Mindwalker's liking, naturally, as the Hanuma's arrogance proved an invaluable asset to the pilfering of additional information. Case in point, Silas had just recently absconded with information pertaining to the imminent assault upon the Lost Kingdom. The Hanuma's monstrous mind proving no more difficult to pickpocket than any other. But now he was faced with the problem of acting on what he'd learned. Certainly, the longer the oversapiens resisted destruction, the better for him, and consequently his kind, which he regarded only as useful resources within his own bid for survival, if not a bit more than that. And what was most troubling of all was this processing he'd gleaned from the psychic giant. The glimpses he'd stolen were gruesome, to say the very least. The last of Silas's chess pieces was the regressor herself. Spider Black was especially interested in cultivating her for something important. The alterations to her mind he'd effected upon the shadowy being's command suggested a vital project of some kind. Whatever the scheme truly concerned remained largely unknown to him which was a hard-earned status for those within the Malsapien's vicinity. But this wasn't to say he hadn't tried his hand at the springing of that particular secret. He tried once, and after what happened, was disinclined to do so again. While her mind would prove an innavigable labyrinth to any other psychic, it was merely so much window dressing to the Mindwalker, a museum contained of the entire world's history for him to peruse. He'd walked the lanes of her mind many times before, even finding it a delightful resource when he required to look at things that had come and gone. But after her nightmares began to darken the skies of her mind, and correspondingly the entire bygone world itself, he decided it prudent to seek out the source of the global eclipse. Whatever the disturbance was, it had recreated the history of the world haunting Hazel's head, becoming the nucleus of all things. Celebrated wars and planet-spanning disasters merely stops upon the road to the world-darkening phenomenon. Siles had merely to choose a path at random to come upon it. He was initially excited when he realized the disturbance something that took place within the twilight of the last world, a prehistoric zone of uncalculated wildness. The epoch was much different than what he'd imagined, surpassing the primitivism he'd assumed the organizational principle of such a time. There were great cities carved from strangely colored stone, or something perhaps not like stone at all, gleaming as it did beyond simple reflected starlight. And then there were the occupants of these cities, inhuman things that crept and flew and tumbled via bodily methods that were entirely absent the creatures of the succeeding, scientifically intelligible eras. There were even technologies, of sorts, an organic approximation of the stuff that filled the modern era. Most importantly, the entire period seemed entirely preoccupied by war. Tides of monsters and alien machines came together like waves from opposing maelstroms, crashing over each other with primal, even cosmic strength. The sounds, shrieking, roaring, bleeding, even explosions, were almost too much for the mindwalker to bear although nothing like the scream that lived within the conductor's skull. Silas was busy collating his thoughts concerning the alien epoch when it seemed a great black claw wiped the sun from the primeval sky. Silas knew the act the product of something living within the prehistoric memory, and crucially, it was not Hazel.
7: It seems a tiny speck the ever-living present has drifted down into the long-forgotten past what say you speck
6: silas's mind chased the voice into the coiling mists of the savage memory but it was outpacing him by a significant margin why hazel what a deep voice you have a bit of uh, psychic laryngitis Maybe I've got a lozenge in my pocket. You had to play it cool, he thought. Whatever the thing was, it was huge, mentally speaking.
7: Why, the speck has wit. Do you take comfort from thinking yourself beyond the reach of old, dead things? The flesh of your mind worlds away from becoming a meal.
6: I uh, I might, that is, if I thought you were an old dead thing, but that's not the case, is it? The thing's enormity only seemed to grow as Silas probed the etheric darkness. You
7: are correct, Speck. You have insight for being so insignificant a thing.
6: So, you some kind of ghost or something? He knew the creature was no ghost, but it was a provocative question intended to test the thing's balance, if it could be taken off its guard.
7: A ghost is a fragment of spirit, a loping forebear to the development, evolution of the mind, the mind an altogether superior animal, but like the ghost, which can only hold an echo of the mind, and thus allow it transient presence outside the body. The mind, the right mind, can survive the death of the body as well, and with far, far greater potency. Although, I imagine you already have some sense of what I say. Isn't that so? MIND WALKER!
6: Silas realized that he was also being examined, and with greater success. He'd never been at this kind of disadvantage before, but he couldn't suppress a bit of excitement at the prospect of a good challenge. Deciding the time was right to push back a bit, the Malsapian tried his luck. Diffusing his mind outward like a fog, he hoped to catch the outline of the thing that stalked unseen all around him, even within him. Before the creature brought its psychic defenses roaring into life, a sea of frothing beasts, Silas made his own discovery. I uh, suppose it is so. Baal. The mindwalker flashed his signature psychic grin. Even while he beamed, he was unsure he'd snatched the name or been handed it. Either way, he'd proceed with his baiting to get the thing to show itself. But the time for games had come to an
7: end. You are gifted indeed, Speck. I will remember that about you, if nothing else.
6: The inner world of Hazel's mind shrunk to the size of a massive grip exercised upon the Mindwalker's psychic body, and the impression of a great yawning maw closing around his very essence. If not for the practiced dexterity of his thoughts, he might have made a meal for Hazel's monster. Silas withdrew from the death trap of Hazel's inner mind and counted himself lucky. But even beneath the shadow of near-certain death, the Malsapien was ever the pickpocket. In the liver dye exchange, he managed to come away with something, an image, a massive skeleton with a wide-spread headdress of curling horns. This was one of the several secrets he'd baited the Hanuma with. It was Castilian's mindless lunge at them that allowed him to lift a few additional secrets. Like the specific time the attack upon the lost kingdom would be launched. A wonderful bit of insight, that one. All of which brought him back to his present conundrum. What to do with Antonia? What was the best way to play her within this ever-widening game? She'd come for noonday, to hear his soulful music one last time before death. That was his inn. Grimacing over his next destination, he made his way to the crumbling house on Lineage Street and into the screeching thoughts of the Sonic Malsapien. Once inside, the mind walker stoked the man's anguish over his dead child and recent movie watching, making the comforts of the old house seem suffocating, encouraging escape. Once the conductor was outside, enjoying a brisk walk to clear his troubled mind, it was child's play for Silas to guide his way subtly manipulating his course by changing his impressions of the available paths. As he passed the dim lights of the less crumbling district of Deadwich, Keith was steered into the lonely lanes of the blacked-out ruins that constituted the northern extents of the city. It required slightly less effort for the Mindwalker to encourage the singer to hum. It was a sublime little ditty, Silas thought to himself. Simultaneously detecting the pricking ears of a certain aquatic oversapien, it was time for the mindwalker to play matchmaker.
0: Thank you once again for listening to another episode of the Maltopia Podcast. To help us grow and spread the word, we'd love nothing more than for you to like, comment, rate, and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. You can also connect with us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, And tweet us on Twitter for the latest original artwork and important updates. And for even more about our ever growing literary world, head to Meltopia.com to read our dark fiction and gain access to giveaways and discounts with our newsletter.
3: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince.